0: I actually bought that today. I bought Far Beyond Driven on vinyl and uh, Dr. Feelgood. Uh, my wife was actually like, do you have Dr. Feelgood? And I go, I don't actually. I have every pretty much everything else. And I go, it's $6. And I was like, is this an original pressing? Because it was in really good shape. And it was. And I was like, cool, I'm going to buy this. My, all my uh, Miley Crew is the original pressings. So I've done pretty good at finding
1: not beat to shit versions. And if you've done a good job not finding beat to shit versions... Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion.
2: You nailed it, dude. Fuck. I think you did pretty good. <clears> How <throat> you suck.
1: I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John Beatty of John's Untitled Podcast. And God help me, I'm going to get through this show before I completely lose my voice.
2: We just want to take a special moment to commemorate Joe's voice. It's gone. We appreciate that he's trying to nail it anyway. I will do what I can until I can do no more. Well, gentlemen, tonight we're talking about As A LA Lay du- Oh, wait, no, hold on. We're talking about Lamb of God. Other criminals in the metalcore scene.
1: Oh, we're talking about metalcore again. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, yeah. We talk about a lot of metalcore on the show. Deal with it. I don't know if it's metalcore, but we'll, we'll get into that. Lamb of God is one of those interesting bands that got really, really popular in the early to mid-2000s. And I can't quite put my finger on why, as I almost felt as if they were a little bit too extreme, especially on those early albums, to really catch that mainstream appeal.
1: Well, before we start talking about the 11th hour, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We're on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in, radio, so if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell you all about five-star reviews.
2: We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. And if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook... We will read that review on the show. Keep them coming, guys. We really appreciate it. And now,
1: once again, John is going to tell us all about John's Untitled Podcast.
2: It'll take a
0: second.
1: <laughs> Usually, you guys are so much more professional than me. Dude, it's uh, been a fucking week. It's been a week, man. That's all I no, have to I know. say.
2: It, no, it's fine.
1: It's It's been downhill since Wednesday. <laughs> There's a bad name. Um,
0: I'm writing it down. Well, for those of you who may not have uh, heard me talk about my podcast, the previous two times I was on with the "Esley Dying" episode on here, go back listen to that, all four hours of it. Um, but basically, it is a podcast where I talk to a lot of musicians in the hardcore metal vein uh, about a lot of different things, and it's a it's a good time and. Uh, yeah i think if you guys are a fan of this podcast which obviously you are because you're listening to it uh head over to my podcast and maybe even start with the episode i had uh dan on with uh adam from hopes fall and then go back and listen to this podcast with the hopes fall episode and then i had dan and jeff on recently talking all things louder than life so if you would like a very incestuous back and forth relationship between discography discussion and my podcast you can find me on basically most of the things that joe already said uh you can find me on soundcloud itunes stitcher i'm not on google play that i know of uh submitted to spotify but i'm still waiting on that and you can find me on facebook instagram and youtube at John's title podcast twitter at John's title pod and a website's coming soon which no one probably will give a fuck about but
2: right now you can go to pornhub.com backslash John's Untitled podcast uh, or the the short link for that is
1: ladyboys. That's that's where you'll find me. Perfection. So Dan, tell me about Lamb of God.
2: Lamb of God is a groove metal band. That's right, I said it. That's a hot take right out the gate. Rose to popularity in the early to mid 2000s although they had been a band since the 90s under the moniker of Burn the Priest. Very subtle. This is like a good Christian band, right? Right, Joe? that's all we talk about on this show, right, is Christian bands? That's what people
1: keep saying, even though it's entirely not true. Oh, well.
2: Lamb of God was a band that was concerned, at least early on, with brutalizing the shit out of your ears with as much of a audio assault as they could muster. Now, that being said, I think Lamb of God was a band that understood that people like to buy records that are memorable. And did eventually fit that dynamic. So we're going to start this shindig off with the Burn the Priest self-titled album from 1999. Jesus. Is nowhere on that record. I've listened to this
1: record a few times. (laughs) I did not enjoy it. But I can definitely tell
2: this is where Lamb of God came from. I listened to this three or four times this week because I was trying really, really, really hard... To find that spark. I was trying to find that, like, this is how we got a record deal. And this is how he rose to popularity. And I don't really see it on Burn the Priest. Randy Blythe, despite being probably one of the most prolific metal vocalists out now. I mean, you get Randy Blythe to guest on one of your songs. Dude, that's like having John from John's Untitled Podcast guest on your podcast. It is a big deal, okay? So let's just say that back in the Burn the Priest days, Randy's screaming and growling, or as I'm going to call them, chipmunk vocals, don't sound overly good on Burn the Priest. Now, this record is hard to categorize. I know we like to categorize things. I want to say musically, it's mostly death metal, um, very Americanized death metal with a lot of thrash, a little bit of groove in there. I'm not going to say metalcore because this doesn't sound like as Ellie dying, uh, but <laughs> this, is, uh, this is definitely there's some hardcore influence in there. Um, the early Lamb of God records are really hard to categorize because I think that they were doing their own original thing but the only problem with the stuff on burn the priest was that it just wasn't overly memorable. (laughs) I did find the riffs to be enjoyable for the most part. Um, kind of the punchy time signatures were kind of cool to hear. You didn't have as much groove in there as you do later on in their career, but burn the priest is just an extremely heavy record with subpar vocals. And the songs kind of go nowhere, if that makes sense. And I, uh, I have a lot of trouble believing that this was going to become Lamb of God as we know them now as being, you know, the ticket seller, sold out arena, pushing fans off the stage kind of band (laughs) that they became. So um, I don't know if anybody else listened to Burn the Priest or not, but uh... to me, when I
1: was listening to this, I thought clearly this was the group of guys that got together and didn't really know what they wanted to do yet. There's nothing memorable about it. The songs run together. The riffs are borderline generic. But I don't think this is an album that they could have avoided making. This is, we wrote a bunch of songs, we recorded them as best we could, we played a few shows, we got better over time, but I don't hear why we had to change our name to Lamb of God.
2: Well, I think that Burn the Priest, you know, people might have gotten the impression that the band was super satanic or something, and typically, you know, parents don't let their kids buy records by satanic bands. I'm not sure who Deicide sold all their records to, but, you know, it was a different time. So, Look at all those
1: albums that Ghost are selling.
2: Right. Well, I think that the name Lamb of God is a little bit looser in terminology, and they actually make fun of that later on in their career when they put out the video for Redneck, where this uh, this these parents are, like, trying to book a live band for their kid's birthday party, and they find a band called Lamb of God, and it's, well, it's Lamb of God, and uh, <laughs> very much not what the parents were expecting. And so I think that Lamb of God was a little bit more of, like, You not really being able to categorize what the band's going to sound like just based on the name. I think Lamb of God was a better name than Burn the Priest any day of the week.
0: It's always interesting when going back through a band's discography and including either the band that they used to be, so in this situation, Burn the Priest, or... You know, you go back through and sometimes you're able to find like Stain's first record, Tormented, before they got signed, the album that supposedly pissed off Red Durst to where he thought they were a satanic band based on the imagery on the album artwork alone. And I have a a lot of times, it's kind of hard because I feel like very much like Dan said, where it's like you listen to this record and you're like... I don't see why you guys got a, a you know got signed. There's nothing here that's so spectacular or not being done better by somebody else in your in your by your contemporaries. But I think the thing is is maybe the the thing that we're not able to look at now in 2018 versus being back in like the the late 90s is what the band was doing live in the the scene that they were in, in in the Richmond scene. Maybe they were a force to be reckoned with live, and they were a band that a lot of people took notice of, and that's what they built their name on, was more their live thing as opposed to being a great-sounding
2: band on record. That's entirely possible. I mean, and I'm pretty sure that the Burn the Priest album is probably made up of several
0: demos. Well, I thought they also had said that it wasn't completely the band as it is now once it was Lamb of God. I thought there was a different guitar player or something. Or maybe a bass player.
2: That's possible. I didn't really look into that when I was going through there, but um, I think I don't know if you could chalk it up, though, to it being a difference in guitar player or (laughs) or bass player. This is very much like really straight ahead. I mean, in 1999, you had metalcore was just starting to bloom. Like It was like Metalcore was just planted at that point, at least, like, what we know of it now. I'm not talking, like, the early, early Metalcore, like, Shai Halud and Earth Crisis and stuff like that, but, like, I'm talking, like, the, you know, you had, you had your bands, like, you know, Body Men and uh, Converge. and As L.A. Dying. Living, no, they weren't around in, well, maybe they were, no, I don't think they were around in 99. Not yet. But the thing is, is that, like, you had that Metalcore scene was kind of starting to bloom, but Lamb of God did not... They were not on that bandwagon. They were very much trying to do their own thing. It's just that their own thing wasn't quite as compelling at that time. And so the Burn the Priest record is really kind of just an interesting artifact in that, like, I think a lot of people, when they heard of Lamb... Because, like, most people heard of Lamb of God off of... Um, uh, as the Palaces Burn. You know, um... Or maybe New American Gospel. Um, But, like, if you're getting into Lamb of God for the first time, you find out, you know, oh, they used to be called Burn the Priest. There's this whole other Lamb of God album hiding in there. You know? So I'm going to go check this out. And then you listen to it and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm just going to stick with my Lamb of God releases. (laughs) Uh, Because I think, to be
0: fair, I thought that the Burn the Priest stuff wasn't available as readily available until way, like probably around sacrament era that you could really find it because the internet not being what it is now and maybe to the uh, the band's uh, advantage, you couldn't find old records like that. Like, I remember when I finally found a copy of Atreyu's Visions, their first record, and that is a piece of shit. <laughs> like, I'll just be flat out honest. What I hear from Visions to Fractures in the Facade of Your Porcelain Beauty to even what would become Because half of that record became Suicide Notes and Butterfly Kisses. But when you go back to Visions and you expect to hear the Atreyu that you came to know and love and you don't get that, it's like, what a letdown. But you have to then kind of look back at it with sort of the revisionist history of being like, well, to be fair, this is a very young band. It's probably their first recording. So is it really fair to to judge what they later became as the entity when they kind of went more quote unquote mainstream? And I think in the example of Burn the Priest, that's not entirely fair because obviously with New American Gospel being the first thing as Lamb of God, obviously they rebranded for a reason, maybe outside of just even being, you know, the bad name or the name not being favorable. But the fact that they're like, hey, like that was what we were doing then. We're, we're more proficient at what we do. We know what we want to do now and that this is a new start all across the board and i think for us fans to kind of go back and find some of this older material i think it kind of is a disservice because then it's doing exactly what we're talking about now where you're like well this wasn't good and why did they get signed because i don't like this and you, but you're comparing it to what they would become not what they were at the time like you're not growing you're we're not talking about it in the present time of them going from this to lame of god's new american gospel
2: well, you're right. It's not fair. So let's criticize New American Gospel. <laughs> I can get behind that. Uh, because this record is essentially Burn the Priest Part 2.
0: I think it's got better songs,
2: and I think it, it definitely... Does have, it does have better songs.
0: And I think it has more... I think, you know, it's something... And if you didn't get this from when we did the As Dying thing, I'm kind of a stickler for especially going back and listening to stuff, you know, having the hindsight to be able to do such, there's always a song that whether you realize it in present time or looking back, there's always a couple of the songs on a record where it kind of points to where the band's going. And I definitely think songs like Black Label, which, I mean, that's a fucking phenomenal album opener. And, and actually, to answer a question you asked earlier, Dan, of how did this band reach, you know, the success levels that they got to, does anyone remember OzFest's website showing the band playing Black Label at OzFest and showing the Wall of Death?
2: I remember the first time I saw anything about the Wall of Death was at a Lamb of God. So it's probably what you're referencing. I just don't remember specifically where I saw it. and um, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was a big deal to, to have that kind of exposure. Especially back then in 2000, people that are on the OzFest website are like, man is power man 5000 gonna be on the you know what i mean like it was not it was new metal no, still yeah nobody was going into the uh into it thinking like oh well what is this and so to hear a band like lamb of god this shit had to have sounded like nile <laughs> you know what i mean like in comparison to what most of the people were listening to so i think there's a little bit of that spark you know because like. I, I always joke that, like, the best breeding, breeding ground for extreme metal fans are Slipknot fans from the early 2000s, where you can tell that them being a fan of the heavier new metal bands, like your, your Slipknot and Mudvayne and all that stuff, you know, those guys were clamoring for something that was truly heavy, but just didn't necessarily know about the underground scene or didn't know about, you know, the early metalcore and stuff so to see something like lamb of god in 2000 yeah it had to have been mind blowing because like new american gospel is important of enough record in the sense that it is unabashedly extreme for the demographic that was hearing it you know they they got the big push you know and you know to to be on the ossa even if they were on second stage or or whatever you know to to have that experience for to expose people to this like no, this is like truly heavy music where we don't make any compromises. We don't add melodic choruses to our songs. We're not trying to get your girlfriend to check our band out either, you know, also, unless she's into that, you know, like we're not trying to be anything other than what we are, which is just a heavy band that plays technically proficient music. And, you know, we we, we do it so well that you're going to love it. Um, But as far as the actual record goes like all the promotion aside I don't think Randy Blythe's vocals are there yet on New American Gospel and he wasn't he didn't have that iconic deep sound like his his vocals later on in their career sound almost unreal not like that they sound fake but this they sound unreal like I couldn't do that you know the way he does um everything he was doing prior to uh, every, everything he was doing prior as the Palaces Burn was kind of this like howl with a lot more um, emphasis on like the, the higher pitched screams, the higher pitched growls. And I think that that sound, as interesting as it may have been in 2000, again, unfair comparison to my 2018 years, I'm like, God, these vocals are so pedestrian, like in comparison to what they would become and so I think with new American gospel, it's hard because this is a record that I definitely enjoy more than burn the priest. But whenever I listen to it, I enjoy everything I'm hearing while I'm hearing it, but it doesn't stick with me. It's hard for me. Like, like the lamb of God became a band that was really good at writing riffs later on. But here on this first the first official lamb of god record the riffs are good they're kind of techy sounding they're heavy but they don't stick with me they don't they don't resonate with me i don't i don't get a lasting impression off of them and um you know maybe i'd feel differently if i was a kid that only had five cds you know but I, i'm i'm not i'm a old dude with like 18 trillion cds so <laughs>
1: You definitely feel different if you were a young guitar player who picked this up to sit alongside, you know, Slipknot and stain. Fair enough. And they definitely had the intensity that those other heavier new metal bands had. So they were a shoe-in for those fans. Here's the same amount of intensity, just a different style of playing. It's like hard mode. Yeah. What's interesting to me, though, is, and I don't... The
0: thing too to remember that I, I that's kind of interesting in talking to, you know, people of our age in our, our early to mid 30s or so. And, you know, we got it. What's maybe sometimes hard in talking to people who didn't grow up when we did is the fact that the internet isn't what it is. There was no iTunes. There was no Spotify. There was not even Pandora or any of that kind of shit. We
1: had Napster.
0: <laughs> I had, I used Kazaa and LimeWire. Morpheus. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, when we still bought things and there was still a buzz about a band because of the underground, as Dan was saying, the thing, honestly, how I found out about this band was the Hellfest DVD and to see a festival with thousands of kids and you're seeing... Bands that when they come around, they're playing to maybe 200 people in your town, but you're seeing Dillinger Escape Plan in front of thousands of people, and people are going shit. 18 Visions, and Blood Has Been Shed, and Unearthed, and Lamb of God. I mean, the fact that, like, I, I can be, cl- clearly remember Willie Adler in a Chris Webber Bullets jersey on the Hellfest w- DVD, and while they're not a new metal band, basketball jerseys are a total, like, kind of new metal thing that then segued into kind of the hardcore outfit but it's it's interesting to look back and be like that was sort of the the underground groundswell for this band for me and probably a lot of people who didn't get to see them but saw this amazing band in a live setting like I was saying earlier that they were like fuck I can kind of get past the, the tinny production on this record and I just want to like go ape shit during like Black Label, or I want to experience like Terror and Hubris in the House of Frank Pollard, or whatever. That I think it's it shouldn't be overlooked that those are different avenues of how this band were able to achieve success in a while others maybe
2: weren't with this sound. That's funny. That same Hellfest DVD that I bought when I was on the phone with you the other day <laughs> at, oh, a, is it? Uh, at a thrift store. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've actually watched it. So it's actually a little fresh in my mind. and um, But, yeah, no, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, everyone was on this DVD, you know, and that was, like, I want to say between 2000 and 2002, there was definitely a push to try to make this heavier, like, this next level. And I think I think people are starting to call it the new wave of American heavy metal. It was totally that East Coast thing between bands like
0: Killswitch. Honestly, a band that I I love and I don't think gets enough credit. And, and I mean, I know we're talking about Land of God, but Blood Has Been Shed. I mean, that band still. You listen to those two records they put out are just disgustingly Dude, heavy. I
2: have a huge boner for Blood Has Been Shed. Oh my god! Like uh, it's so good. Not even not even appropriate, but like, yeah, it's they were so good. They were so heavy. But the thing is, though, is that that East Coast, that like Massachusetts,
0: Connecticut, Virginia scene. Everyone was doing they were putting their own stamp and obviously why it was called the new wave of American heavy metal. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing to it. And Lamb of God were, as you said, on the Burn the Priest stuff, were kind of death metal, sort of techie thrash. Like they were doing something that wasn't being done, even if it wasn't as good as any of the influences maybe they had. It was still their own thing. And that's what made it interesting. And I think that's the other reason people were taking note of what they were doing.
2: Yeah, no, they were, and like they, along with all these other bands, really, there was started to be a huge push. I remember, uh, I actually just recently pulled out the 2003 Headbangers Ball compilation, which is a two-disc thing. Solid, I still have it. And what's interesting about that compilation is that the first disc is all new metal mostly new Metal. I think Killswitch shows up on disc one, but... Was, was Chimera on the first disc Chimera or Chimera was on the second disc. Okay. And uh, it, it was Down Again. That was the song that was on for Chimera. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, like that is such an interesting compilation because it was almost like you ever see the movie Star Trek Generations? Sadly, yes. Well, it was kind of, that was kind of like a passing the torch kind of movie. Right, where they were passing the torch from the old Star Trek to the next generation. Um, that's very much what this 2003 Headbangers Ball compilation was, as far as I could see, because you've got Disc 1's got... Um, Moto Grader. Moto Grader uh, it's got... It, I thought Moto Grader was on Disc 2.
0: I thought they were on Disc 1 because they were at the tail were. end of the new metal.
2: Yeah, Whatever, Joe can look that but up. I don't think they actually categorized it as that, but that's how it looks overall. Plus or minus a couple of bands on each side But like you had uh, I think Spine Shank was on disc one Cold was on disc one Stained was on disc one um, God Smack leads it off <laughs> And uh, You know you had all the Deftones Was on there Good like choice. Every, everybody was Wait, on there Did you there. just call them Deftones Yeah maybe I don't know I'm drunk <laughs> So th- there was that And then there was uh, But then you look at disc two And disc two is like starts off starts off with "Ruin" by Lamb of God. Like it's like no bitches, this is the way it is now, you know. And that I remember that being a really influential song. It's you know, I bought uh, "As the Palaces Burn." You know, immediately after hearing that song, you know, and but I mean, it's like Lamb of God, Arch Enemy, In Flames, Chimera, Eighteen Visions, Devil Driver, Sworn Enemy, Thirty Six Crazy Fist, Demon Hunter, Mastodon, Motograder. That's on disc two. Uh, and then, you know, Poison the Well, Soil Work, Unearth, As I Lay Dying. It's like, yeah, guys, this is from here on out. This is the way it's going to be, <laughs> you know. And then a weird Cradle of Filth song is on there, too. But uh, <laughs> Mannequin by Cradle of Filth, if you're into that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> it's really weird to think back to around that time about how compilations could build a band. Absolutely. Because, I mean, between the Ozfest Live Compilations, the the compilation like you're talking about the Headbangers Balls, the you know like I think Hot Topic even used to do compilations as well.
2: Yeah, and they did. It's
0: just it's really interesting that that's kind of a lost thing. That now. was our
1: fucking shuffle.
2: Now it's a Spotify yeah, that's playlist. True. It's very true. Now it's a playlist. It downloaded this playlist. True. You know, like, but uh, it was just interesting, you know, that 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 you had that, and I think I think the promotion on compilations and stuff really kind of like Lamb of God was thrown in a lot of the times with your kill switch engage. You know, you like your your more mainstream Melonic. sounding metalcore bands. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think Lamb of God just kinda of got shoot in there and even though they were extreme, you know, like I don't think I don't think anything on New American Gospel or as the power as the Palaces burn is mainstream at all like i i I don't hear it i don't hear anything i don't hear any musical decisions that were made with that in mind it's
0: weird that you say that though because i mean you look at a song like ruin and i mean that's that's a bona fide hit in in metal standards now you even look at you know a song shit i'm trying to think of what it is is it uh 11th hour I think is the other like it's, a, it's yes. a single and like you know that's that's kind of the weird thing is like you go back and listen to to me what the difference between as the palace is burned to uh excuse me new american gospel is I feel like there's more emphasis on actual songs and writing parts that are going to get a, a crowd interested and they're thinking it seems like they're writing more for that even if they're not but they're, they're thinking of parts that are memorable Right. And I think that's what separates, especially, you know, New American Gospel from As the Palace Burns and going forward is that they started writing, and I'm always a stickler for this, writing songs that have memorable parts that keep bringing you back. And I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, how many fucking people. I mean, there's several YouTube videos dedicated to mimicking the kick drum pattern and that drum fill before the, the bridge section on Ruin.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And you're you're totally right. I mean, As the palaces Burn was, in my opinion, three times the record that New American Gospel was. And that's just because that, first of all, that was the first Lame of God album that I bought. So, of course, it's going to have a little bit more of that nostalgia to it. Because, I mean, obviously, in 2003, I didn't have any complaints. Now, I was really in the youth group at that time. So, like, I couldn't tell anybody I had this CD, but I had it. Uh, so the cat's out of the bag Such a badass I know right Oh my! <laughs> Everybody stand back We got a badass in the room But uh, you know This record was So heavy And I remember it was one of the very first Bands that I ever listened to Where I was like Holy shit I can't just pick up a guitar And learn how to play this Like this is Way above You know Because well, I was trying to play guitar at that time and like this is way above my skill level. You know, and I'm like I'm never I'm never gonna be ever be able to touch it. The drumming on this record is badass. Like just the, the the pure rhythmic aggression of Lamb of God at this juncture was incredible. And these this time the patterns were memorable. Um very much very much like uh you know how I feel about Meshuga or how I feel about um Gojira you know like those 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 are bands that aren't necessarily melodic like they're not going to catch you on the on as the palace is burn they're not going to catch you with a catchy hook
0: i would slightly disagree with that i think songs like ruin and 11th hour and a few others they're going to perfect that and get to, to those catchy things but i think this is the groundwork that that sets that foundation
2: well they are hooky like there are hooks that will get stuck in your head, but they're not what I'm trying to say is they're not the traditional hooks. They're not like the type of hooks that like you would you would associate with a band that was trying to get radio play. Now, a fan of Slipknot would latch on to this type of totally music. Oh yeah.
1: Because they're used to the hook being the extreme outburst. Yeah. And that's kind of what I meant when I, when I said earlier about how they were in the right market to catch on because they were different, they were technically proficient, and they had a little bit of classic metal through in at the very end. Uh, I, I personally think that most people will not admit that they listen to Lamb of God to hear Chris playing the drums because he doesn't sound conventional the way his drums are mixed. Critically speaking, I'm a little picky with him because I've heard him say out of his own mouth he can't do some of the things he does if he's not playing his own kit, which says to me you're gimmicked in some way. But at the same time, if you're able to do it, you're still doing it, even if you have to use training wheels. So I don't really worry about shit like that. He's still a fucking badass, though.
0: I think something that's interesting to me about Chris is that he's left-handed, but he plays on a standard kit. It's the old Ringo Starr syndrome.
2: Except for he's not a background piece like Ringo Starr is. Right, yeah. He's like almost the entire like skeleton of the band. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess I don't really have any better way to describe it other than I just really like this album, and I thought it was, in my opinion, the first really good Lamb of God record. And Randy's vocals... Are finally there? Getting there. Getting there. He does get better after this, but this was the first time where I was like, I can really take this seriously. Because, like, dude, there's some shit on Burning the Priest where he's just like, I don't know, innocent. I start like little one second vocal bursts and shit, like, like really like dumb shit that like you shouldn't do as an extreme vocalist. Whereas on. As the palaces burn, he matches the actual rhythms of the songs better. Um, He's one of the few hard vocalists that actually uses his voice as a percussive instrument, (laughs) which I really like. And, um, you know, I just, I really liked it. I really liked his tone and just how, like, precise and easy to understand he became.
0: I think a lot of that, though, is, too, is you're looking at a band that's still very young from as... For all intents and purposes, honestly, I feel like New American Gospel is still basically a, a, a slightly better sounding demo. They're it's still like burning still, the
2: priest on that record, basically.
0: Yeah, it's it's still really raw. I think it was a band that they someone signed. I forget who. I think it was Prosthetic signed to them, or signed them, and you know gave them a little bit of money to, you know, make a new record. But to me, it isn't until you get to A New American Gospel where there's a little bit of money thrown into it. I'm sorry, uh, As the Palace is Burnt. that has a little bit of money thrown into it. However, I don't know if this is where we want to get into this on because uh, I want to talk about this for a hot second. And, and if we want to talk about it later, when it comes up in the timeline, that's fine. But the re-recording and, and how Devin Townsend handled the recording of this record that I think kind of is... It's... It's a gift and a curse, I think, on how we listen to this record in its initial state, because if you went back and watched the ten-year documentary on As the Palaces Burns, he went in going like, "Yeah, I just took the gig. I didn't listen to anything. I didn't really do my homework." And then I showed up, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like this man, <laughs> I, I I kind of uh, out of my element here. I don't. I I wasn't adequately prepared. And then, you know, the hard drive issues when he went to send everything back and just a lot of the the issues surrounding the actual recording of this record. I think they went back and re-recorded this record very quickly because they had to fix what he lost. And so once all of that's been kind of out there, I kind of have looked at this album in a completely different light. And I don't know if either of you two have in light of all that information.
2: To be honest with you, I didn't really um, I didn't even know that happened uh but uh
0: this is where my nerdum of watching documentaries right and DVDs right either is a hindrance or a help
2: no that's okay I didn't know that um so I guess I don't really have an opinion on it because I I just know what what, what, it, what we have yeah, well have you listened to the re-recorded
0: version that Josh Wilbur who's been doing most of Lamb of God's new stuff have
2: you listened to that version of As the Palaces Burns I have not okay I'm, I'm well. still I'm still listening to my original CD copy <laughs> of As the Palace is Burned. We run into this every now and again on the podcast where there's two versions of an album and Mm -hmm. the the differing hosts listen to different versions. So... uh you know i don't know i'll have to i'll definitely be listening to that re-record on the way home then yeah Uh, there is
1: a 10th anniversary edition which has the re-recorded remastered it's labeled as both versions of the songs i don't know a whole lot about it other than yes devin townsend was involved at one point and i thought that was really strange because wasn't he one of the original guest musicians on one of the songs and i want to say it's a devil in god's country or was that just on the remaster that that was his only surviving track?
0: Uh, well, it shows on the the re-recording that it's a remix of that. But uh, to be fair, the "A uh, Devil in God's Country" is on the original version as well. Um, the weird thing is, is it, in in the documentary of the ten year anniversary because they did a documentary about the whole thing. And then obviously it was a a big preamble for being, hey, we we remix and remastered this record, here it is. Um, Because some people, I guess, bitched about how shitty As A Palace Is Burned sounds, which, you know, it kind of gets into this weird territory of, you know, people falling in love with the record the way it is because of how raw it is and so on and so forth. But then it goes into this whole thing of like, well, when you shine it up and put some new current production on it, does it really make it better or does it kind of take the, does the sheen of the newness of it kind of take away from what made the songs great in their raw state? And to be honest, I, I, I like both versions cause you know, Ruin sounds great and to hear a, a modern version of that record stacked against what would become the rest of the band's discography th- recorded and produced and mixed and all that by the same person, it makes it sound more, there's more continuity now with that record being redone. However, I remember, like Dan was saying, this was re- this was the first record I bought of the band's when it first came out because you know, Ruin was so good and so hooky for me that when I went and bought this record, I still have memories attached to this record as it sounds in its original state. So it's kind of a little bit hard to say I like one over the other because I think they're both great for what they are and what they offer but I didn't know if either of you two had watched that documentary when it had first come out a while ago or if you really had listened to both versions of the
1: records to be able to kind of break those down a little bit between the two. Sometimes bands do re-records. I know Motorhead re-recorded Ace of Spades and is it better? Do I care? Look at this I have two versions of Ace of Spades. I don't feel like, and again, I haven't listened to it, but I don't feel like a re-record ever makes something better. Just taking the same songs and putting modern production on it, that can make it better if you had a good source and it was just mixed badly. But nothing in me wants to hear a remixed Def Leppard photograph. I don't want to hear that. I don't need British Steel to be remastered to enjoy it better. But a good comparison that I know Dan can comment on is, is the re-recorded All Else Failed by Zayo better than the original?
2: No. First of all, it doesn't have all the same tracks. So, like, that's a huge fucking mistake. Um, It only has eight songs versus the original's ten songs. Secondly, no, it's not even made by the same members of the band that recorded the first All Else Failed. So like it was a cash grab record. They've they've made no bones about that. So why did Lamb of God have to re-record? Well, I'm not their necessarily. record. I'm not necessarily sure they had to re-record the whole thing. I think there's just like little fill-in spots that needed to be re-recorded. Because as so
0: to and to point to that, uh, I believe the whole thing was that, like I said, Devon Townsend lost chunks of the record, and so I think they, at the time of them recording the record, the band had to come back in and basically re-record the parts of songs of the songs that were lost and then i think on this remaster remix of the record i think maybe they came in and maybe redid some excuse me some pieces not entire songs
2: okay yeah i'm glad to have that clarity there cuz i wasn't sure come clarity no don't <laughs> don't trigger me get it they like triggers get it uh. well, i get it <laughs> But hey, uh, when we when
0: we when we connect all these clouds, I think you're going to get a really great you representation. Know, Sean, of... I'm
2: getting really tired of running your gesture race here. So, hey Clayman, shut up. Yeah, whatever.
1: So, refuse, resist. Wrong band. Wrong Sorry. band.
2: Wrong band. So, better off dead. <laughs> so then, in 2004, right, they released an album called "Ashes of the Wake." That was about the critical reception they got to. <laughs> My personal opinion, not as good as As the Palaces Burn. Really? Yeah. I still <laughs> like it. Like, when it came out, I was like, this is pretty cool. But whenever I listened to it back this time around, I was kind of like, okay, there's a few things about it that sound good. Like, I mean, no, okay, let me rephrase that. This is a great record okay. okay. (laughs) But I I personally enjoyed As the Palaces Burn more. Maybe because it was a little bit less clean. Maybe because it was a little grittier. I don't know. It's hard to explain what my... What year was this? 2004? So I would have been... 2004, yep. Yeah, so I would have been like, what? How old am I now? Like 65? So subtract uh carry the one uh no okay so i was in high school so i was like 16 17 or something when this came out in 2004 i graduated from high school in 2004 oh god i didn't know i was older than you yeah (laughs) so you're like what 73 shit i guess that makes (laughs) jeff like 94 fuck okay so anyway um ashes of the wake was cleaner um, it was punchier. I did notice on my sound system that this is the first Lamb of God album that, like, really kicked my sound system's ass. Like, this thing really um, was pummeling. The drums definitely have, like, a lot more, like, oomph to them. Um, the song, I feel like the song structures are, like, or the pace of the songs are a little bit, a little bit slower. Like, this is whenever they kind of started slowing down and letting the music breathe a little bit instead of it being like it was before it's like the first person to get to the end of the song first wins you know like (laughs) this was definitely more of a they took the aspects of as the palaces burns that worked and made an entire like record out of just those like catchier hookier parts because at this point at this point they are finally at i wouldn't say the height of their career but like more popular than they had ever been like there's more people showing up in lamb of god shows in 2004 than there has ever been and at this point when you've got one two three technically four albums out in that vein by 2004 nobody was listening to new metal so a band like lamb of god was actually at this point kind of almost feeling a little nostalgic for people that had just gotten into them back in the new American gospel days and I know it's only four years but when you're a high schooler that's like forever ago so they're, they're basically considered to be like cream of the crop as far as metal bands go in that era and again this is actually pretty unique because there weren't a lot of bands out in 2004 that sounded like Lamb of God they definitely had their own they had their own sound and it wasn't widely copied like you look at a band you look at bands like Asley Dying and switch where like literally every band that came out after those bands debuted wanted to sound like those bands lamb of god was kind of the exception like you listen to metalcore over here and then you listen to lamb of god over here because i don't i don't personally still think that they're metalcore at this point i don't point. think they ever were i don't think you could ever call them that no. Um, they, they play a lot of shows with metalcore bands. It's kind of like how Roach Coach is doing that, like, who's the Papa thing right now, where they're like you're trying to decide who was a direct influencer of new metal versus who was just associated. So I'm going to say that Lamb of God was associated with metalcore, but they were not, in fact, part of the club. No.
1: There's two styles of metalcore. There's the hardcore-influenced and the heavy metal-influenced. We've said East Coast, West Coast. I think of it as As I Lay Dying, Killswitch Engage, or Under Oath. Lamb of God had thrash metal and technical drumming and overall technical playing, which was very common in Gothenburg bands that influenced metalcore later. So yeah, you showed up to the party... And you already had half the costume on, so everybody just thought you belong there. It's like showing up with a black T-shirt and we're just walking in, and the, everybody thinks you're a security guy, so they don't stop you.
2: Huh, we're going to talk later about security guys not stopping people. <laughs> oh, anyway. shit. Oh, uh, oh, shit. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to not speaking. Well, <laughs> Ashes of the Wake is a great record. But for me personally, I think at this point, You know, I'd heard New American Gospel, I'd heard As the Palaces Burn. Ashes of the Wake was very much just more of that. And I kind of started feeling like the band, yes, they were progressing in their sound. But I guess at that point, I was just kind of getting a little bit like, okay, are you guys going to always sound like this? Or is there going to be, you know, some sort of change? I think I would have been fine with it either way but i you know kind of like there was a little bit of a spark of music reviewer in me that's like okay well what else you got oh okay more of this shit okay well it's still good you know there's nothing wrong with it it's like i'm trying really hard to be critical there's nothing wrong with ashes of the wake it's just that you know i'm basically four albums in now and i've got the same experience overall except maybe, i mean obviously this is better than burn the priest but like you know um i've gotten the same experience overall now with three albums and i'm kind of like okay what are what are they going to do next are they going to go heavier are they going to go softer are they going to turn into pantera um you know like it's definitely one of those questions you know that that was in my mind at that time when i was trying to be critical um but there's not a whole lot to be critical about on this record to be totally honest
0: I think the thing for me though, looking at this record when it came out and even now, I mean, you look at the first six songs, I don't know if this is a, an example of a band front-loading a record with all the bangers right away to where you're just like, holy shit.
2: But I mean, it's like... Blew your load at the beginning of the record, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I mean, and kind of speaking a little bit to what Joe was saying just a little bit ago about, you know, like they were had a little bit of the new metal influences but were kind of more in the vein of like the Gothenburg song. I mean, you have a song on here like Ashes of the Wake with Chris Poland and uh, what's-his-face from Megadeth basically trading off solos. That's I mean, badass, that's kind of like... Yeah. A, like a cosine right there, but they're kind of doing this weird ministry esque kind of thing with like taking political sound bites and throwing it over the music that they're they're putting together. Uh, I don't know if anyone ever put that correlation to that song, but I've always thought it has a little bit of a ministry lean to it.
2: Yeah, I can hear that.
0: But I mean, shit. I mean, if this if you were to go to a Lamb of God show now and you're like, okay, they're playing Laid to Rest, Hourglass, now you got something to die for, Faded, of no Murder, and Blood of the Scribe. Most people are probably gonna be like. Fuck yeah! Bring that on. More Damn. of it, please. Yeah. And I think that's a, an attestment to like this album. Yeah, it, it it lost a little bit of its rawness and is more polished overall. But I think as a whole, you're starting to see. And I'll probably talk more about this on the next record uh, when we get to Sacrament. But you know, one of Mark Morton's bigger influences that he said is Beatles, because he likes song structures, he likes songs not parts, songs and so I think you're starting to see some of the individual members start writing what they like, and you're starting to kind of see like, oh, Mark likes to write these kind of songs, Willie's kind of like you're starting to see more of a definition of all the individual members and what they do and bring to the band as a whole and this is the record where i really started noticing that and it's it's really interesting too like randy is getting a little bit better he gets better every record as we go and sometimes that's not always something we see with a lot of bands That as you keep going everybody's progressing and doing something especially the vocalist adding new nuances to what they do it's usually like you've been saying like that's more of the same i'm used to this now what
2: yeah and he you know he added like talking parts and you know a lot of that stuff and I thought that it was just really cool to hear him progress and like one of the things I like about Randy Blythe's vocals the most is that he's really easy to understand for a metal vocalist like it's so easy to take to take the vocals in a full rasp direction or you know go ultra deep guttural and he does do a pretty good deep guttural voice but for whatever reason When he enunciates, he enunciates so well, you could pretty much pick up the lyrical content just by listening to it. You don't have to, like, pull out the lyric sheet all the time. I mean, it's not like 100% at this point in their career, but a lot of that stuff is going to be fixed on their 2006 album Sacrament. There we go. So, John, tell us about Sacrament.
0: Sacrament, honestly, is probably my favorite Lamb of God record, start to finish. And I don't know if that's a if that's a bold statement or a common sentiment with Lamb of God fans. To me, the band, and I know a lot of times on your podcast, you guys don't really necessarily get into production per se or who they're working with, but this is a record after watching the documentary that came along with it, where I think working with Machine, who had done, you know, the uh, the Gutter Phenomenon by E-Tid and and a lot of, like, kind of seminal records for a lot of bands and kind of helping a band find their their sound and kind of defining it I think this redefined what Lamb of God was for a lot of people in the the traditional metal scene at that point I think it separated them as far as the songs like you have a song like Redneck which is an undeniable crossover hit uh, I don't think that we would disagree with that like it is a song that took them into the mainstream where they had never had a song like that before
2: yeah, I mean, this record was so different that it could be polarizing cuz like I was saying on the previous record that like okay guys, you've got four albums and you're doing the same shit again. This was not the case on Sacramento. This was no. okay guys, you want you want to hear you guys want to hear the new shit, you know, like and uh there's so much more melodic lead guitar work going on. On this record than we've ever had on a lamb of god release and i really appreciated that um the the melodies the songs are hooky again or not ever not really again but like for the first time hooky in a way where like you actually have like semblances of real choruses, and you have you know you have really cool parts that are repeated you know like we complain a lot about bands that will play something really cool for 15 seconds and then never play it again Um, lamb of god really you know they they had to you know they again they had to have been working with somebody phenomenal because it really redefined the lamb of god sound for the rest of their career now let's travel back to 2006 me the first time i heard redneck
1: ladies and gentlemen 2006 dan
2: oh my god did you guys hear that new Zayo record anyway uh so it's kind of <laughs> like wait it's kind of like 2018 Dan anyway uh, so what's interesting about Redneck is that like I was not expecting this I really hadn't been that up and up on Lamb of God in a while did so this like
0: feel like a Bud Vane situation to you with this determined-
2: was weird to me. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, because, like, walk with me in hell, like, it's a banger, you know? But, like, Redneck, in light of recent recent events, I am not going to go full-on anti-Pantera mode. I was very taken aback by Redneck, because the first time I heard it, I I saw the video. I was just up late one night. It was on, like, Headbangers Ball of Uranium or whatever, you know, was on the TV. They played this on the Spice Channel? On the Spice Channel, yeah. Well, you know, I could only watch the Spice Channel, but it, it was, like, all distorted. But anyway, uh, you know, you go to Channel one nine and then press up and on the TV remote. Anyway, so... Um, but, no, I saw Redneck, and I was like, this is Lamb of God? Like, it's obviously Randy Blythe singing. You know, like, there, there's no doubt about it, but, like, I've never heard him singing like this. It's not a clean vocal by any stretch of the imagination. But, like... It was so exactly what it's called, redneck. Like they're playing on this giant stage in the suburbs, and like you know, there's like beer and like I, I don't. It's just very weird. hearing him, just, this is a motherfucking invitation. Like I'm like, holy shit, Lamb of God just became Pantera. <laughs> like I didn't even see it coming. Like this is I and, I, and at the time, I was like. This is not the same band this is bullshit this is just not even close you know this is blah 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 and then i ended up picking the record up for like five bucks at best buy in like the bargain bin like three or four years later and whenever i did finally listen to the entire album and i got to hear that song in context with the rest of what they were doing i got a much better idea of what they were doing And I I found the majority of the record to be really, in a lot of of ways, much more enjoyable than even, you know, Ashes of the Wake. All right. So I know Dan and I talked about this earlier
0: this morning. Uh, In the documentary that accompanied the Sacrament uh, album, contrary maybe to what Dan might have thought... The band, when they showcased the band working on what would become Sacrament songs, they showed the working titles of most of the album. This song they referred to as their "Cowboys from Hell" song. They, I think it was, I think the working title was either "Cowboys from Hell" or "Pantera from Hell" or something like that. Basically, a reference to Pantera. I'm shocked. Because, yeah, exactly. Because they obviously knew that there is a Pantera resemblance. Uh, speaking to they, speaking to the song title of what would become Redneck. They based on the music. Mark Morton said it sounded like breaking a beer bottle in a parking lot. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. No, that's the wrong band. Um,
2: Well, I don't know if I can make that joke anymore. (laughs) Yeah, we're living in crazy times.
0: But, yeah, so, I mean, you're you're not wrong with that assumption. The band, even very self-aware, knew that it was a Pantera-esque song.
1: If that's the case, then I would say redneck is what it sounds like if Pantera was fronted by Rob Zombie. Oh, interesting. Because he's got a little bit more of a Rob Zombie delivery than a Phil Anselmo. Phil Anselmo has a very unique, it's Phil, you know. Rob has this, whatever condition my voice is in today, I'm just going to yell into that microphone as hard as I fucking can. I've said it before on the show, he can't pull it off outdoors. Indoors, he's fine. But even on his records, you can tell, okay, today was an outdoor day. Today was an inside day. Rob, use your inside voice. And I always listen to Redneck, and I think, okay, so if we didn't have Damage Plan, if Pantera had gone on with a different vocalist, and that vocalist happened to be Rob Zombie, I think this is what it would have sounded like. I mean, that's not entirely wrong at all, but I don't know if Rob Zombie would have been the first
0: name that <laughs> came to my mind.
2: No, like. he's too much of a control freak. I got more of a Godsmack vibe from the vocals, to be honest. But, um, it, so yeah, obviously that song turned me off, right? Because everybody knows how I am with Pantera and stuff that sounds like Pantera. Luckily for me, that's really kind of the only song on the record that sounds like that. Really, you know, like but it's great for them because it really like if they weren't a household name before that song they definitely were now i mean this is a song for rednecks like people are going to listen to that song and be like (laughs) holy shit i get a fucking lamb i got my light yeah get my limb oh my god i gotta go talk to billy who's two trailers over like holy shit he's gonna flee (laughs) he's gonna freak out You know, like, this shit is crazy. You need to hear this band's old shit. Now that, man, is some serious fucking heavy metal. You know, like, and, uh, yeah, there's a place for people like that in the metal scene. But, uh, you know, this record, though, really much more melodic than anything we'd gotten from Lamb of God before. The guitar leads alone are awesome. The band isn't trying to go a million miles a minute. They're actually, like, trying to really showcase what they've got going on. And they really were able to pull off some pretty good groove on this record. With
1: Definitely. the exception
2: of Redneck, they pulled off being a heavy groove metal band that didn't necessarily sound like Pantera. They sounded like Lamb of God. Like it was a it was a redefinition. And I think it worked really well for them. And I know this is when the fan base really divided. I think there were a lot of people like me that heard Redneck and were like, fuck this band. You know, like I think I think there was a little bit of outrage. But they're they're playing to a different audience now, or at least to a much wider audience than they ever had before. I think the diehard Lamb of God fans dug it and appreciated it. But, you know, all anybody that was just there for the, you know, metal, Metalcore Association is checked out at that point. And now Lamb of God has moved on to, you know, being a bigger name band that's going to be on your festival or you, you know like they they this really propelled them further into the mainstream than i ever thought would be possible for a band like this
0: what was interesting for me around this time was and i think i made a, a reference to some of my esley dying uh appearance about being on having a friend on the Ozfest uh the year it was free and this is the year speaking to what dan just said Lamb of God was the band right before Ozzy on this year's Ozfest. Uh, this is where it was the free year, and all the typical metalcore bands went over to Warp Tour. Uh, so, you like Asley Dying, your, your Norma Jeans, and so forth went over to, to that Warp Tour year. It was surreal to see the amount of people who reacted to the band at this point. But not just the band, but this album specifically. When anything off of this record was being played, I dare say it got more of a reaction than some of the more old Tired and True songs of like your ruins, your you know, now you've got something to die for and so forth. Songs like Black and the Curse and Sun or Foot to the Throat or whatever, like they had such a huge reaction and much like Dan was saying, like just I think the propensity that the band was showing at this point of writing Big songs that had parts that soared, like you know, again we will rise. Like just holy shit! Like I remember when the first time I heard that Randy's like kind of guttural like intro to that song. And you're just like, wow! Like there's stacked and layered vocals on this. Like this is this is new. This like, there's has got so a budget. Much, yeah, yeah. Like there's so much shit that's going on on this record. And the other thing that I love about Sacrament is the fact that it's a complete record. I think they paid more attention to like I was just saying on As the Palaces Burns, or As the Palaces Burn, that where I feel like that was front loaded. The first six songs are just kick you in the dick the whole way through, and then you're kind of like okay, like the rest of it's okay. This I feel like they paid more attention to their track listing, and built a full record that keeps you for the whole time. Because by the time you get to like More Time to Kill or Requiem or Beating on Death's Door, like the the album closer. It makes you wanna just listen back to that record and to borrow a roach coachism, they're very very cognizant of our time. This is a this is an album that clocks in at like forty-five minutes. This is a very easily digestible eleven songs that just makes you wanna keep going back and listening to this record over and over. This is why it was Revolver's album of the year, I think, because it's just it's palatable for a heavy metal record and it offers a little bit of something for everybody.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like, and to quote Joe, sequencing is important, you know? I've been saying it for 20 years. The order in which you play your tracks on a record, making it a complete experience, which is not a popular concept today. No. You know? It's all about the single song that you released, or, or it's all about, you know, just, like, getting all your songs onto a cool playlist or whatever. It's almost like albums are made now as playlists versus, like okay does this song lead into this one naturally does this sound because nobody's focusing on the guy that buys the vinyl and is just going to listen to it and can't skip tracks but like this this as a vinyl release would be awesome to listen to from beginning to end you know um and so sacrament was really awesome i listened to this album twice this week when i was doing my preparation because the first time i heard it i was like holy shit did i like that You know, like it really, you know, because honestly, like when I was listening to the earlier stuff, like everything pre-Sacrament, I would like miss entire songs. Like I'd be doing something else or I'd be like cleaning or or driving or something. And like I would miss two or three songs that would just go by and I'd hear them in the background. And it's just like, you know, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to him again because I was like, oh, shit, I missed that song. That was not the case on anything, you know, after sacrament, you know, like sacrament was like, I'm not going to miss a song. I'm going to very clearly know when it, when it changes over to the next track. So I thought this was really cool, but I was kind of like, what else you guys got? And then we didn't hear from the band again for three years. I feel like this is the only reason you brought me on. (laughs) Actually, no, I'm sorry. That
0: happens a little bit, but still. Actually, I think this is this is a prime example of the music climate that we're in currently where you don't want to oversaturate anymore, that sometimes going away builds your brand creates the interest in in your band and making people want to hear from you and see you again and I mean something I didn't necessarily bring up when we were talking about the first couple records but the interesting thing too is from as the palace is burned to ashes of the wake that was only a year difference right and you saw like the growth of the band in, in just a year and then it's you know they're they're typically on the you know every two years every three years cycle because they're just that popular now where it's we got to record a record for a year and then we're touring on it for two. So it's a three year album cycle. But from what I remember around this time, like the band toured Sacrament incessantly and then they were like, we're done. Like we're going to go away for a little bit and caught like, you know, when we come back, we're, we ready. And when we were ready turned into 2009's Wrath and i mean i don't know for for you dan or joe where you guys were at as as lamb of god fans at this point but i remember when picking up this record like this is around the time where i tried not to listen to the over saturation of singles and hype around albums anymore because it just kind of ruined that record experience for me but i remember when hearing set to fail and i was like this sounds like the continuation of a band that's trying to grow from what they did and what succeeded on sacrament and taking it to the next level. And once again, Randy's vocals right out the gate, you're just, you're seeing everything that he's learned how to do showcased to perfection.
2: I can agree with that, especially vocally. The thing that I'm the most, I don't know. The the vocals are the thing I like the most about this record. What I don't like is I kind of feel like some of the riffing, and again, this is just being critical because that's what we do. It's a little bit more Gothenburg. It's a little bit more, but see, Gothenburg's a bad thing in 2009 because people associate Gothenburg with what? In flames. Metalcore. And in 2009, people were starting to be like, If it's not a founding metalcore band, I don't want it. You know, like at that point, the derivatives were starting to be fanned out. But this is not a metalcore record by any stretch, and I'm not trying to make that argument. But it's just that it bothers me because I feel like in 2009, playing a metalcore riff to fill up 30 seconds of space is a a cop-out. When I know that this band is capable of doing much better. Um that being said this is probably the lightest uh lamb of god album that i've heard this is not punch like all of their previous material did individual songs maybe but this wasn't you know this was not what i was expecting this was this was like okay we're going a little too slow we're going a little too melodic and like if you're somebody that's jumping on the bandwagon let's say you hadn't heard sacrament you know somehow <laughs> um, like, <laughs> you know. Um, oh, dude,
1: man, that coma sucked.
2: Yeah, oh my God. How long was, was I in, there? in this coma? You know who my favorite band is? Lamb of God. Oh my God, they just put a new record out. Wait, what the fuck is this? I was expecting As the Palaces Burn. You know, like, obviously, those fans were probably already gone on Sacrament anyway. But, like, I think it's just really interesting that I feel like this was their first quote unquote attempt to do what they had done prior again I personally don't hear the growth on this it sounds like they're just doing Sacrament again and when you're going to call a record Wrath, I don't expect it to be slower and less extreme than an album called Sacrament <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, just Wrath Like it, whenever I heard, you know oh, yeah, our new album's going to be called Wrath it's coming out, you know I remember being like, okay, cool. And I don't hear a lot of wrath on this album. I hear a slower version. I mean, obviously, they're still Lamb of God. They they are still technically great. You know, Randy's vocals are more varied than they have ever been. But this one just did not connect with me on the level that that really all their previous material did.
0: I think for me, hearing songs like Grace... I don't know that we could have ever heard a song like this without where they were on the album previous. And to me, while I, I agree, this is like, this isn't on the level as, as sacrament as far as just being a, an album cons- as a whole that I really love. Some of the shining moments off of this record, like a grace, like with the, you know, acoustic interlude kind of thing into what would become the main riff or, you know, fake Messiah. Like, Randy's vocals on that are are really fucking good. And I even think, you know, kind of like I was saying about the last couple records, I think there's some really good songs at the end of this record that kind of make it more enjoyable. They're growers for sure. It take, excuse me, it takes a little bit of time for the songs to kind of really find their way. But I think like a song like Choke Sermon or, or Reclamation, I think are really good and initially when i first gave the album the first few spins i was like yeah you know i'm not really feeling this like it's kind of a letdown but as i've sat with this record over the last handful of years and kind of gone back to it i tend to find that there's a lot more in it that i like that i don't know if it's just me as a as a listener growing to like the things about it and understanding what they were doing or if it's more that the songs were good and it just, you know, they knew they were writing good songs. It was just going to take a little bit for the fans to catch up to
1: what they were doing at the time. The first time I heard it, the last time I heard it, I have thought the same thing. I don't understand why a band that previously had nothing but pedal-to-the-metal, driving songs that have no bullshit, just the song starts, the song ends. I don't understand why we now have intros and little fake-outs. I don't know why they need that. My first thought was, are they trying to do like an Opeth thing, or is this just like we're trying to be a little more creative and a little more atmospheric, and we're playing a joke on the fans where, no, it's still Lamb of God. We're still going to go 117,000 miles per hour. And I, I don't really... My only complaint is that same old sequencing argument that I have where, yes, at some point I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to this album from beginning to end, and all the little interlude things are going to matter. But when I buy this and I sit down and I listen to it, once I've heard your trick, I'm not really interested in it anymore. One of my favorite songs, because well, not really... The song's not my favorite, but the fact that this album exists when it did is one of my favorite records. But when Marilyn Manson did Born Villain, or Villain, depending on how you read it, there's a song (laughs) on there called Pistol Whipped that has a minute and a half introduction of just a fucking gun being loaded and cocked. And a round being chambered. And then this fucking kick-ass song starts. And I want to know why... I still have to listen to that whole thing to get to the song, even though I've heard it. I've heard your artistic expression of that interlude that kind of sets a tone. But once I know the tone, I just want to hear the song. So I don't know why they needed all of that extra bullshit. It's Lamb of God. Just go fast. I'm cool with it.
2: Well, like I was complaining about, though, you know, whenever we were in the golden era of Lamb of God, your new American gospel, As the Palaces Burn, Ashes of the Wake... Even then, though, I was complaining because I'm an unpleasable metalhead. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, unpleasable metalhead. And
2: if you do the same thing, I get irritated because you're not growing. But then when you grow, I get irritated because it doesn't sound like the old shit. You know, so it's kind of like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. I think my complaint with this, though, is, is actually very much the same in that, like, Sacrament, or I'm sorry, Wrath to me sounds like a kind of a watered down version of what we had on Sacrament which is something that I would have expected if this record had come out in 2007 you know, or 2008, like, I would have been like, okay, well they're just doing the same thing again and they're capitalizing off of the success, off of, the success of Wrath or, or I'm sorry, of Sacrament, you know and I think you know there, there's nothing technically wrong with it but I just don't really, you know, I don't know. just didn't connect with me. It's not shit. I mean, none of their albums were shit. I could say that confidently. It's always the interesting thing, too, is that even
0: at Lamb of God's quote-unquote worst, they're still better than most people's
2: best. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like we said about El Nino. There's something about Lamb of God, especially at this point in their career, that they are instantly listenable. I think you could be a metalhead from all walks of life and pick up a record like Sacrament or pick up a record like Wrath and enjoy it. And even if you're not into extreme metal, you know, that could actually work as a gateway, especially if you work your way backwards in Lamb of God's career. You go from like the kind of extreme, you get all the way back to New, New American Gospel, which is arguably as extreme as they got you know so it it's uh, it works both ways um, i think people that are die hard metal fans and only listen to death metal stop listening to lamb of god you know once they grew their first you know naval hair you know <laughs> so like it, it's one of those it's one of those catch 22s where it's like which lamb of god do you want do you want this one that's instantly easy to just latch onto and listen to or do you want just brutal 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 because this is a band that actually is willing and willing to give you both, <laughs> especially if you go see them live, to to see the mix of these old songs and the new songs mixed together, it creates a really interesting dynamic uh, that that I think works really well for the band in a live setting. So before we go on to the next record, let's talk about stuff that happens in live settings. I think you're slightly too early for that. Still, I'm not. The concert in question was in 2010. Okay. Which was prior to the release of their album Resolution.
1: Resolution. We might have
2: to, we might have to do
1: some... We might have no. to
2: do some... Uh... Nope, because according to all of
0: this, Sturm und Drang was the last record, and it was the first record that Randy had written since all that shit happened. Because there's songs about it on Sturm und Drang, like 512, 512 which is a reference to the prison stuff so well let's get this s-
2: let's get this out of the way real quick we're just gonna go there we're gonna talk about it yeah because uh you're i'm talking about when the actual event took place not when he okay. was arrested okay so basically what happened is in prague there was a concert a lamb of god show i'm pulling a daniel terry i'm bringing <laughs> you got stuff the, for show and tell you got the goddamn book out. Wow. okay um, Hardcover, hard too. Oh, James, it's oh, signed? Geez, that's first pressing. Tell me it's signed by Randy Blight. Tell me it Not is. Not yet. Not okay. yet. Uh, well, let me just call him up, you know, with all of my discography discussion connections, and uh, we'll get him on the show. Oh, thank God you called.
0: Oh, yeah, so I heard you talking shit
2: about how I uh, sound like a Pantera ripoff. Yeah, yep, that uh, was me. I'm pretty sure I said
1: you sounded like Rob Zombie, sir. He's
2: like, I already forwarded everything you yeah. said to Phil. He's heading to your house right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, bring it on. So there is uh <laughs> you know there was a concert uh in Prague where Lamb of God is a heavy band. What kind of things do you guys see at heavy shows? Lots of undercover smoking. Yeah, they're 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 thrashing around. They're playing their shit. Vocalist looks pissed cuz that's part of the deal. People jumping up on stage, jumping up off stage, jumping off the stage into the crowd. AKA me happens all the time at this particular show a fan had jumped up on the stage well there was one guy a different guy that jumped up two times he jumped up once and then jumped off then he jumped up again and instead of jumping off immediately he decided to try to give randy a hug while he was playing on stage wouldn't you randy's not into it because like for whatever reason he kind of like we live in a world now where you kind of can't just let people up on stage not when you're a big pro big name profile band like lamb of god they, they've, they've reached a level now where this isn't like your your local punk club and you know x touring band with one album comes and you're jumping up on stage and all this all this shit. okay it is kind of perceived as a danger for people to come up on stage it's, it's, it's horrible that we live in a world now where bands perceive that as a threat, but, you know, when somebody walks up on stage and kills a legendary guitarist right there in front of everybody, there are certain security precautions that have to be taken, you know, to prevent that sort of tragedy from ever happening again.
1: I believe Aaron Lewis gave the exact same explanation with a different set of words.
2: That was me with Aaron Lewis. So show and tell continues. Yeah, I was like, you know, this isn't video, right? This guy came up. He gave Randy a hug. Randy's like, okay, whatever. He throws the guy off the stage and they keep playing. Well, then immediately after that, see, when you are up on stage and the lead singer of a band pushes you off the stage, that delivers a certain type of message of saying, hey, guys. I don't want anybody on the fucking stage. Well, another guy jumps up on stage. Randy essentially does the exact same thing. Pushes the dude backwards off the stage. One problem. Dude falls backward off the stage. Hits his head. Has brain hemorrhaging. Dies a few days later in the hospital after being in a coma. But here's the thing, if you're Randy Bly- if you're Randy Blythe you just push some idiot off the stage. You finish your show. You go home. That's it. He didn't know anything was going on. And so they continue on with their daily lives. Uh, they go home. They start working on their next album, which is 2012's Resolution. And we will pick up what happens with this whole Prague incident after we talk about that album.
0: I liked this record. But the thing that's interesting about it to me is this is when Randy really took to Instagram. Uh, so much so that I remember him and I making reference to Swayze week that we just were talking cause he was obsessed with Patrick Swayze for some reason. Uh, I think Who it was when it? he got into surfing. So he was talking about like roadhouse and uh, point break and all that kind of stuff. And we were talking about weird Patrick Swayze point break, riding surfboard inspired tattoos and so forth. Uh, but all that aside, I remember the band recording this on a remote island and just a lot of like I think it was this record, and then Randy just kind of being very you know, this is like the tranquil Randy. I'm I'm growing my dreads, Randy. And sometimes I wonder when a metal band gets to this part of their career where, you know, they don't they got money and, and before the events of what you just said are about to happen to the band financially but I wonder if this is a record where, you know, you're what, six, one, two, three. This is album four. seven. Okay, album seven. You're seven albums in. You're over a decade into your career. That this isn't the the the, the layup record. I feel like this is a layup from the band. It's got everything we want. It's going to appease fans, new and old. But there's nothing that's pushing it not like it was when sacrament came out where you're like wow this man's really going down some new interesting territories to me this is basically
2: wrath part two you showed up at your job yeah, and you clocked in you did your job nobody can really complain about your work performance but you didn't wake up that morning being like holy shit I'm gonna get so much done at work today (laughs) <laughs> this was okay well it's been three years I guess we need to put something out you know alright guys what do you guys got well you know this is pretty cool oh yeah I like the groove on that yeah like man what's this one called oh this is straight for the sun this is like a really slow you know almost doom metal like really slow track I'm gonna throw some vocal some brutal vocals over it you know Really get people in the mood for what Lamb of God's all about, you know, and we're basically just going to do the same shit we've been doing since 2006.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anybody got a problem with that? Nobody had a problem with that.
0: Damn right we didn't. Uh, well, I mean, it's like I was saying, too, though. I think this is uh, at their quote unquote kind of worst. They're still better than almost everyone
2: at their best. They're a professional band with a budget, a good studio and good ideas. But that definitely doesn't have the immediacy that the band used to have. Uh, and a very similar thing happened to Mudvayne later on in their career. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not saying that it's as bad as what Mudvayne put out. But what I am saying is that, like, it's, it's a slower, we're, we're in the more laid back Lamb of God now. And that's where we're going to be. We're never going back to As the Palaces Burn. We're not even going back to Ashes of the Wake. We're not really even going back to Sacrament, which, despite being a stylistic change, was still just as aggressive and just as uh, just as ballsy and straight ahead as, um, you know, as Ashes of the Wake that came before it. They were just kind of changing direction a little bit, but it's kind of one of those things where, like, you know, six years ago, you guys did something really cool and new but you're doing it again in 2012 but it's not new anymore. It might still be cool but it's not it's not pushing. And I don't think a band seven albums into their career has to be innovative. You know, they're certainly not obligated to to redefine metal every time they fucking put a record out. Nobody can live up to that expectation. Gojira. Gojira can live up to that expectation, but not very <laughs> many. But it, but eventually in 10 years we might be sitting here and being like, "Oh fuck, it's another Gojira album." Nothing wrong with it, but you know, or maybe not. I don't know. But what I'm saying, what I am saying, is that like, yes, they could be innovative, but they don't have to be. And if if your expectation is for a band that's been around since 1999 in 2012 to still be as immediate and interesting as they were back in the early 2000s, it's a it's a pipe dream. So yeah, I'm not gonna run out. I'm not gonna buy resolution. I'm gonna stream it on Spotify or I'm gonna you know, it's not really um, a record that I'm gonna just sit there and listen to until I get it. You know. It's just like yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a couple of bangers on there, but it's not like they're not like the Bangers of Yesteryear. They're just kind of okay. If you're a if you're a hardcore Lamb of God junkie, you're gonna like this record just like you've liked the last three. Not going to have any issues with it. And that's all I really have to say about Resolution. It's not really like, you know, it probably sold plenty of copies. Um, but you're not widening your audience at this point. You're just on a plateau. You, you've reached the level of success that you're going to reach. And I do, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't think that Lamb of God is going to suddenly become a household name again or, you know, be, you know, super important as far as like innovative stuff goes you know but you know what if they fucking sold out and put out a deathcore record after that like that wouldn't be a good move either so like what do you really what do you really expect the band to do they're gonna show up for work they're gonna do their job and you're gonna be fine with it and for the most part I was fine with it but um, it's not a record that that I'm gonna be returning to very often if I want to hear a Lamb of God record that sounds like Resolution, I'm going to go listen to Sacrament, dude. I'm not even going to listen to Wrath. I'm going to listen to Sacrament every time. Let's get back to the more interesting shit that took place in 2012. I feel like this is the only reason you asked me to come on. <laughs> oh, you know it. <laughs> true crime. <laughs> metal true the crime. metal podcast. There is uh So they go back to Prague. Kind of a bad move. They didn't know it was a bad move, but pretty much after they're, you know, they're well into this tour overseas and Randy gets arrested. (laughs) I'd like to imagine as soon as they stepped into the the city limits, (laughs) he was immediately taken into custody. So you've not read the book? No. What about you, Joe? I'm just imagining that that's what happened because that's more entertaining.
1: Educate us, Uncle
2: John. Alright, so in the
0: book, Dark Days, a memoir by D. Randall Bly, uh, he recounts. It's basically is about him going to prison uh, and the trial and everything leading up to it and the after events. Basically, the band were going back to Prague for, a, to I think, to play some makeup shows, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but basically, the band got off the plane, went through the terminal, and then they were detained They didn't know why, and in the book, Randy, I think, even says like, "Oh, he thought maybe someone was trying to sneak on some like weed or something, and they got popped for
2: it." Something stupid, yeah.
0: Something stupid. But then the some like KBG type motherfuckers come in with like assault rifles and shit, and ask him to come with them, and he's still not sure as to why. And then basically, they're asking him about is he aware that there is a warrant out for his arrest for manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. And he's like, no.
2: It's got to be some
0: other Randy White. Yeah, like... Well, apparently, I mean, just like anybody who knows somewhat anything about our judicial system here in the States or whatever, but, like, t- typically, like, if you're wanted for something or there's a warrant off for your arrest, you get some sort of news or a letter or something stating the fact. A postcard from Prague that's like, hey, by the <laughs> way, you're wanted <laughs> hey, for
2: manslaughter. Way. Yeah.
0: And apparently they had reached out to the American embassy or whatever, and and no one relayed any information and they haul them away right then and there. Took him to jail for manslaughter. He had no clue. They're asking him questions in a foreign language, basically, and, and asking him to recall events from two and a half years before where, just like you said earlier, where it's like you're playing a normal show, one of hundreds that you're playing that year. Hey, can you recall what you did that night that was different since, you you know, you're probably playing a completely different set list and you're in a different town and all that? It's like,
2: no. I've played 1,500 shows since then. You know, it's like, uh...
0: Yeah. So, the book is really interesting in the sense that for as much as you would think that he would kind of just be very, well, fuck this place and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's really interesting to see how he just kind of accepted it so quickly like all right like this is what i have to do and this is what i'm going through and i'm going to be here and even to the point of when he was released all that time later that you know most people would have assumed and and i probably would have done this if you release me i'm probably not going to come back <laughs>
2: even you know even I'm if you try on to on going home and unless you're going to send batman uh, yeah, to get me, <laughs> you know? It's not happening. I'm, I'm going to go back to my own country where I'm going to be protected. Yeah. And it's not going to matter. So this is a testament to, like, somebody's character. You know, we talked a lot on the Tim Lambesis uh, thing about a person's character. Lack of character. Lack of character or if they have a lack of character or whatever. But in this case, what Randy did was very interesting and that they were like, okay, you're wanted for this. You know, eventually they brought him up to speed on why he was being detained, you know, and, and why this is such a big deal. Like, why they were setting bail for him that was, like, way, like, his bail, I think his first bail was, like, $200,000. And then they paid it right away. And then they're like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's $400,000. And then they paid it. And they paid it, and it was just like, shit. I don't remember what happened after that. Did they raise it again? They raised it again, and then basically said that even if they pay it, they're still going to detain him
0: because they still need to process him or something to that effect.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's like one of the because they they were they were sure he was a flight risk. Yes. Because like me and John were saying, like I mean I don't know if I would have, like as soon as I had access to leave, I don't know if I would have stuck around. You know, just because of how uncomfortable the situation was, it had to have been for him. You know, like again, he's not—he's not at home. He's—he's he's being asked questions by people not in his primary language about shit that you're not even remembering because you don't know. Yeah, we played a show and this and this and this. I mean, I guess if you go back and look at our, our itinerary from then, I guess we did. You know, like it, it wasn't a big deal. And so what erupt, What what ended up happening was this this trial where they brought in experts you know like they brought in like people that like psychologically evaluated randy to see if you know he was the kind of person that would kill somebody it's really weird like why why would he have picked this one show to be like tonight's the night i'm gonna fucking kill somebody (laughs) you know like (laughs) totally unpre you know not it's like whatever the opposite of premeditated is you know like just a random act of a random act of violence and um go ahead john you, you know more about this than i do well as i say the two things that were interesting to me in reading the book and i
0: highly recommend again anyone who goes through that's interested in in any of this or is a fan of lambic god go get that book it's 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 quite thick and intimidating but that sounded dirty um but it is uh it's a very good read and there's a lot of very interesting things as a metal fan that are in it, and one of the things I wanted to bring up the the reason actually he remembered that show was because of getting a call about Paul Gray dying from Slipknot. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that happened like that same night I believe, if or the day before either way. He was like he remembered reading a text and hearing that Paul Gray had passed away. But the other interesting thing too about all of that to me was was just the fact that, like you said, Randy. Didn't fault anybody. It pretty much had come out that he didn't push anybody, so he hadn't, and that's ultimately why he was able to, to quote unquote get off um, because he, he literally had no hand in, in the situation. But the fact that I think for me, how much more human Randy became, and like we have been saying the last couple minutes about his character sh- coming to light and shining through and all of this. I think for anyone who maybe was a casual Lamb of God at fan at best, I think because of the importance of what this meant for our scene and what it meant for, I guess if you want to go like wrestling kind of terms, heel versus face, like USA, 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 and all that kind of stuff, I think this really humanized Lamb of God in a way that they couldn't have done. I think it expressed different emotions that the band wouldn't have been able to put forth into music currently. And it's really interesting to have seen and to think back about when this happened to what it allowed to the
2: success and the level it took the band because of this. Well, I want to jump in quickly. Yeah. I, I was of the impression that they did prove that Randy did, in fact, push the fan. Now, this is you know, I haven't read the book, but according to the research that I did online, from what I understand is that he was found guilty of actually pushing the fan off the stage. But because, I mean, really, you have no real control. Like, really, it's really just a horrible accident. Totally. That took place. They said that basically they came to the conclusion that morally he is responsible for the death of that person. But because they couldn't prove any sort of criminal intent negligence. or yeah negligence or, or you know violation, and really they, what they ended up blaming it on more than anybody was the security at the show, because in Lamb of God's contract with uh, w- you know with anywhere where they tour, there are certain security concerns that they spell out in their contract that say like you need to have barriers this far from the stage or you know you need to make sure that nobody's able to access the stage who could potentially come in contact with or hurt a band member because you know and maybe it's not necessarily due to safety but almost more due just to like we don't want to we don't want to affect the performance by having all this stuff going on you know that we don't know about and so i think you know them just kind of being chill guys weren't like huge sticklers for the security but it was still the venue's responsibility to provide the level of security that was provided that was spelled out by the band in their contract because it it is significant that a a crowd surfer or, or stage diver that was not the victim was able to access the stage not once but two times you know prior to the incident and then this third guy gets up there and Randy does what he did with the first guy and f- pushes him off the stage, you know, sends a very clear message that, hey, man, this is not where you're supposed to be. And unfortunately, it, he just, it. it's one of those shitty situations where dude just fell wrong. You would almost expect the lead singer of a metal band, like an aggressive metal band, to just be like, fuck this, these charges are fucking bullshit, this is all, you know... Um, this is just ridiculous, you know, and just a, just a trash, trash, trash.
1: This is my stage. You have no business being up here.
2: Well, it's okay if he feels like that because that's, you know, the truth. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think, you know, again, talking about his character, he didn't really do that. He was very attentive to the whole process. I mean, I'm sure he was frustrated personally, you know, like, like, very frustrated with it on a personal level, but, like, that didn't come through in his interviews. I mean, he maintained his innocence, like, you know, but it was always one of those, like, this is not something that I did or, you know, I didn't murder someone or, you know, it's it's, it's not like a, you know, it's not a cut and dry thing. It's like, I don't think that I am personally responsible, but I'm sorry that this happened you know was kind of his maintained stance throughout the whole thing and that's about it i mean i know you guys looking for something really juicy but eventually you know cooler heads prevailed and they realized that they didn't really have a case (laughs) you know um
0: i think the thing that was crazy to me and especially in reading the book was just how not of a bigger story this was in our u.s news system
2: yeah I remember when I was trying to find news about it, a lot of it was only on, like, European websites. Yeah. It was very weird.
0: Like, I I mean, in today's world where everything is news, even anything political, social, whatever, especially, it still was kind of shocking to see how little this made outside of, like, the PRP. Like, I mean, if you looked at, like, the literal hundreds of thousands of comments, shares, likes, whatever on social media and such about this thing, you would think that it would have created a, a groundswell of like an uprising. And it was weird to like talk to someone about it, you know, amongst other political things going on globally. And people were just kind of like, wait, what's going on? I'm like, oh, this guy from this band, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that band. don't
2: know anything about that. And it's like, huh, that's really weird. Well, like you said, John, how how this potentially affects our scene. I mean, there was a lot of really important ground covered, you know, in that trial in that, like, it seemed like to the people in Prague, or, you know, at least in their justice system, that, like, they were, like, kind of like, well, what do you mean he didn't do it on purpose? Look at him. Here he is on stage thrashing, playing this angry music, looking angry, looking pissed off, and, like... People had to, like, sit them down and, like, show them heavy metal videos and, like, show them, like, Lamb of God videos and stuff. They're like, what Randy was doing at this show is part of the show. Right. It's not that, like, he is this... It's not like he's actually this big, scary dude, you know, that's, like, out to just, you know, kill people and, you know, and murder people's faces and all this shit. Like, it's it's all part of the show. Like, it speaks like it speaks to this idea of like people just automatically assuming that since it's metal and it's heavy that it's somehow like linked in any way to violent behavior or linked to, you know, um to to murder or devil worship or what, you know whatever, you know. I'm to be honest with you, I'm surprised that didn't come up. At some point in the in the career like the band the priest? Yeah, like the band's stance on religion or the you know like all that stuff, you know. Um, even I don't consider Lamb of God to be, like, a straight-up, like, satanic metal band. Um, they're really just a metal band, you know, that, that has opinions about things. Uh, but, like, I'm surprised that didn't come up. But, like, yeah, the, the implications of, like, you know, in in 2012, in America, you wouldn't have necessarily seen that type of reception to, like, like the fact that, like, The fact that the band's overall sound was called into question is like some sort of confirmation of of the act is kind of ridiculous to me but it does kind of just show that like there are still people that aren't really aware that like this like really seriously aggressive music exists but it's still made by like normal people like you or i you know it's just a style of music that they appreciate and decided that that's what they wanted to play it wasn't because they were, like, all bad dudes that wanted to make bad music. You know, what I mean? like, like, I don't know. Like, it's not really sure where I'm going with it, but, like, it's just one of those things where it's shocking to me that that was even in a consideration.
1: I think what you're hitting on is if it was in America, that would have been all of the focus because that's all anybody ever focuses on. Anything, Anytime anything bad happens, that's all anybody focuses on. But in a completely different country, it became about just that one person. Right.
2: And that is odd, considering how heavy music has been treated in the past. Well, yeah, you look in America, like, and I'm only going to bring this up one more time and then we're done. Um, But, like, with the Tim Lombistas thing, I remember reading article titles and stuff like, you know... Lead singer of heavy metal band or growling vocalist arrested as, you know what I mean? Like, I remember reading those headlines, you know, a lot like the metal websites weren't saying that, but like the, your, your general, like, you know, Dallas star or or whatever is, is reporting, you know.
1: I think a better example would have been the Judas Priest court cases.
2: Yeah, the Judas Priest court cases or even like the Twisted Sister, where um, somebody killed stuff. themselves and we know
1: it's your fault and then we can't prove it.
2: Right. Well, Dee Snyder to say, took care of all that for us. As I say, the
0: interesting thing, too, and even because this my timeline might be slightly skewed, but wasn't this also around the same time of the Ian Watkins thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, pretty close. It, and like that didn't even
0: make news. Like, I've and, there's people I that listen to Lost prophets Profits that was, don't even
2: know about that,
0: but I wonder if it was because he wasn't a, a U.S., the band's not from the U.S., possible. Entirely uh, possible. Never really kind of thought about that until just now.
2: But this has been another episode of Heavy Metal True Crime. <laughs> and now, back to discography discussion. So, let's
0: get into... Seven. Sturm und Drag. Uh, guys, drag. technically it's your eighth album, but whatever. <laughs> no, we... we that's, see, that's, that's the interesting thing, like I was saying earlier, about how the band seemingly by album title standards doesn't count Burn the Priest as a thing.
2: But then they come back as Burn the Priest in 2018. Anyway, okay.
0: I just wonder, well, I guess maybe we can unravel that. I
2: don't know later. if I can. But, uh, this record, um, actually had some genuine angst on it. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Totally, you know, totally founded. You know? Um, you know, this record I felt was, was much stronger musically, lyrically, than any like it wasn't. No, it wasn't a return to you know as the palaces burn, but it was. Um, it was the heaviest version I feel like of the newest, like of the newer era of Lamb of God. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a return to form, but it's definitely more. Like if you liked Sacrament, you'd like this. This would be kind of a step forward. You just this had those like two albums next. in there in the in between that didn't step forward, and yeah. now we're ready to get off the fucking pot, you know. Like
0: this definitely seems like the record that should have followed Sacrament.
2: Absolutely, and I, you know, for a lot of people, they, that is, you know, kind of, uh, kind of what it was. Um, it's it's really I'm really happy too to see that they came back after the trial and everything because that whole experience just drained the band down to like nothing financially sure did you know like it was uh, it was rough because they had come off of basically being a really a really big successful band I don't think the band members were like millionaires but they you know they were doing really well for themselves being a heavy band I think they were at that Esley dying level if not a little bit bigger I think less
1: you think less, honestly? I think less, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Lamb of God has ever been the
2: top tier in anyone's book. Oh, well, anyone with ears. But no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, they fucking should be. But yeah. like, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, unpleasable metal fan. Right. But uh, no, I mean, I think Asley Dying was, was actually bigger. We're, we're done talking about them, goddammit.
1: It's interesting to me that you,
0: you think Asley Dying was bigger because whenever I saw them Lamb of God was always playing bigger shows, bigger bigger arenas and such than Asli Dying ever
2: did at their peak. I'm gonna say at best they were on the same level. I can't say more. Now, who Just lost? Asli the- Dying never headlined us best <laughs> Here's the big question: Who <clears throat> lost more money in a trial? Oh, Lamb of God, hands down. Absolutely. Well, they lost all their money. I mean, they had to start auctioning shit off
0: to pay for Randy's things.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tim just lost his stuff. You know?
0: His parents are rich. Yeah, good call.
2: So, what I remember about
0: this album title, actually, is that Randy and Mark liked the word version of this album title, and it was Willie and Chris, go figure, and John that were more into just calling it by the album number so then they compromised and came up with this obnoxious title dan your thoughts on that
2: what (laughs) (laughs) Um, no i'm trying to think of a nice way to say it i just thought it was dumb should have just called it storm and stress fair enough my opinion
0: i I, kind of wondered how much of it was trying to play into the whole prog kind of thing people would probably
2: associate it with you know being in the Czech Republic and so forth it's possible I mean you know it's probably the right call but like if I was making that same call I would have just called it storm stress but um, what if they just called it like Randy's out Randy's out Randy's out bitches yeah um, I'd have bought that record a hundred percent but uh no like getting, getting back to the music on this record <laughs> um I thought this was a heavier Lamb of God. I thought at least heavier than we'd had in a while. Um, Focused. Yeah, and uh, I thought the track with Chino on it was really cool. Um, not expecting that whatsoever. That one really threw me for a loop. Can I pause you for just a second there?
0: Were you potentially like me and wondering if you're getting Chino like he ends up being on everyone else's shit or if we're gonna get white chino guest a vocal appearance
2: yeah i wasn't sure i mean i didn't i wasn't looking at the track listing when i was listening to it and so it came completely out of surprise as a surprise to me um but it was definitely like a holy because at first i was like holy shit that sounds just like ch- ch- chino and then i looked at it, i was like okay Okay, so that's Chino
1: okay if it looks but like yeah. Chino and it sounds like Chino and it smells like well Chino. no but
2: if he but if he had been like if he had been like coming at it like real aggressive I might not have noticed it right away you know um, you know heavy music sometimes tends to blend into the background when you're doing other stuff um, but no this was very noticeable like this is a holy you know this was like a, the clouds parting kind, and you know Chino ascends from heaven you know uh, kind of vocal so um, I appreciated that I would have enjoyed hearing him do you know more of a aggressive uh, guesting on it but uh, I thought it was cool and really you know kind of we've never heard anything like that on a Lamb of God record before No, so that I thought that was really notable and kind of made really just not just necessarily that one song but I think it really made the record stand out I was to say given the fact that you guys just did the Dillinger escape plan thing what did you think of the song with uh, Greg? Oh, I thought it was awesome, but I'm a huge I'm a huge Dillinger fan um, because again I didn't really like pay attention to this record when it came out so like this week was my first my first time with it so uh, I didn't get to dig into it but I really enjoyed it especially after slogging through the last two um, you know uh, I thought that this was really I thought it was really well done. I thought Greg sounded great on, on his guest. What was that track called? Uh, it's called Torches. Torches, yeah, yeah. And uh, and interestingly enough, Chino's is called Embers. Yep. So shouldn't they have gone in the opposite? opposite? Never mind. Um, <laughs> I agree. Well, unless you used Embers to create the Torches, I mean, it is possible. You know, there's a Zayos song called Ember. <laughs>
0: oh, Everyone take a ble- drink.
2: You gotta you gotta weep it out like I did on my podcast. <laughs> right. So, uh... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they, I thought that was great. I mean, I don't, I'm do not i not used to there really being um, guest vocalists on Lamb of God stuff. It was definitely interesting. Yeah, it was a different dynamic, and I think it'd be interesting to hear who else they can get for future releases. But, uh, yeah, this was definitely a huge step in the, in the right direction. I think it kind of got the band back on their feet after suffering that huge financial blow. Do you think potentially being in financial straits causes one's
0: i don't necessarily want to say it takes you from being comfortable but when you realize like
2: man we really gotta like come up with something oh no that's that's totally what it was totally yeah and i I won't i won't believe any other explanation to be honest like because it that is uh that is absolutely your driving force think about how you know most bands debut albums are so fucking good with the Mm -hmm. exception of this band but uh (laughs) (laughs) you know you think about you think about how like a lot of people they'll hear a band and they're it never got any better than the first album you know again because when they wrote that album they were nobody right and so they were proving themselves to the world and i think in the case of lamb of god that that's exactly what this was was like we've got to get out we've you know we're, we're out we're in the clear now we won the battle but our whole city's burned down you know so palace, it's a it's, it burn, right yeah they, they, they burned the palace and the priest uh, and you know it, it's one of those like situations where they had to come up with something really brilliant and i'm not going to necessarily say this is like really brilliant but it is definitely a huge step in the right direction so you
0: would say this is the band coming
2: from the ashes of the wake well it has been a pleasure, John. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> I know, it's low hanging fruit, I can't help myself. Yeah,
2: it's fine. But, anyway, uh, but you know
0: what? We'll 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 see them band. you know, getting their wrath after the sacrament. And uh, the resolution will be really good. We're no
2: longer friends now, I get it. <laughs> I'm not even looking at the Skype window anymore. Uh, so I say good day, sir. Right. Didn't hear anything from Lamb of God after this. For a while Technically we haven't heard anything from Lamb of God After
0: this I would like to get both of your your Thoughts real quick About Overlord Because a lot of times on a lot of the Past episodes you've done Something where a band really takes a Left of center Move This is the first song that has Clean singing
1: on it Once in 20 years I'll let you have one Did you enjoy it? It was different I wouldn't mind
2: I wouldn't mind hearing it again To be honest
0: Were you surprised at how decent Randy's voice actually is In a somewhat clean singing approach?
2: I remember thinking Fuck, who's the guest vocalist on this one? You know And then I was like Yeah, but then (laughs) You know, after looking at it I was like Okay, that, that is Randy singing Yeah, I was surprised To be honest Not sure why that wasn't busted out prior But again, talking about character And you know, how metal somebody is or isn't or whatever Um wouldn't have been appropriate i don't think on on at least the first four records it wouldn't have been um especially since like because like if you were gonna throw a melodic chorus or something like that into the old sound for that you would need like a Corey taylor or you know what i mean to to make it so high and flying i'm not sure that he could comfortably deliver this in that context but I think for a slower song, it works perfectly. Were you
0: surprised at the breakneck, almost ruin-esque part in the song?
2: Yeah. That was like, you guys are still awake, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was surprising. Um, Again, you know, I got a little bit of a, not a Dillinger vibe from that song, but more of just like a, this was the first time I was listening to a Lamb of God song where I was like, shit, what are they going to do next? And I don't is usually that right? get that feeling, like, like within a song, you know, like, in a very micro sense of, like, I don't know where this song is going to go now, because it's it already started off bananas for, for Lamb of God, you know. But, yeah, no, I thought this sounded really good. I liked that the song was still dynamic and still had heavy stuff in it, like the band didn't release a ballad and lose their identity. <laughs> Completely all, in it, uh, all that remains. Yeah, Oh, fuck that band. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. Like this guy can't take him anywhere. They really. Um, I thought this was sincere. I don't think that they were trying to make any kind of like pass for a, a single. Well, right. you know, on this, I don't think it was. It was meant for that. I think um, that's a more accurate description of how this album came to
1: be. I don't think it had anything to do with financials. Yes, that is a motivator for most people, but Lamb of God is a band that never really lost their peak. You know, they scored 97 and then dropped down to 92 and maybe hit an 88 in there, but they never really failed. So I don't think you would have gotten a different record had that not happened. This is just a sincere release.
2: I think if the trial had never happened and they were not not financially viable, like, if they, if they were still super, like, well-off, I think this record would have been boring as fuck.
1: I don't think so. They've consistently stepped it up, and then, yeah, they stepped back, but then they stepped it back up. This is just another
2: step up from Resolution. I think this is great. What I'm saying is that, like, if they were if they didn't have this this trauma this dra- you know th- this drama that took place i don't think that we would have had the type of conviction and sincerity in it uh as we got i definitely agree with that because i
0: i definitely feel like the trial and the process like i said brought out a different side of randy that most people probably hadn't seen there are a lot of people who probably don't know how smart randy really is or mark or most of the people for that matter And I think this, like I said, I think it humanized them to where potentially I wonder just how much of an effect this had on people, the band kind of going like, well, you know, people like Randy and not Randy for being the screamer, angry metal guy, but for being a person. And it just makes me wonder how much of that led to the growth we saw on on this record. So where do you think they're going to go now? I mean... Well, I mean, interestingly enough, they put out an EP recently. And by recently, I mean like two years ago. But by typical standards, that's fairly recent. And I guess when you're supporting Slayer, who haven't done anything new in like 32 years, um, you know, you're going to ride out that farewell tour for all it's worth to make some of that money back. But I mean really the ep honestly was two songs the duke which uh was about a fan that randy ended up befriending i believe uh in some way shape or form and the person i think and i'm probably getting this wrong but i think something to the effect of like the fan had like terminal cancer and and randy and him ended up becoming friends and the person ended up passing away, and the person's like nickname was the Duke. And so Randy wrote this song for his friend slash a fan of the band. And then there was a song called The Culling," And then the rest was just basically live versions of stuff off of the last record. Although I think the weirdest thing was when this EP came out randomly, uh, was the fact that one of them was uh 512 from Bonnaroo. And I was like, I didn't even realize Lamb of God played Bonnaroo. Like, if that hasn't speaking to the level of, like, where you're at in the music scene,
2: I don't really know what could. (laughs) And Lamb of God at Coachella. Well, so what do you think the decision was then to change the band's name? Maybe they didn't change the band's name, but they put out a covers album this year under the name Burn the Priest. I
1: think that's just a nod to the original fans that know the original band name, and it's a way of getting yourself out of the limelight so that none of your core Lamb of God fans will give you any shit. I think Joe's partially right with that. I think what it is 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 very much, like I said, a nod
0: to Burn the Priest, but I think the whole point typically usually with a covers record at this point, whether you're going with Garage Inc., whether you're going with, you know, any of the bands that have ever done covers records, typically the whole point is to show where your influences came from. So if we're going with influences, then obviously we need to go all the way back to when the band was the band initially, which is burn the priest. So they're doing covers of bands that have influenced them, but we have to take it all the way to the beginning, which is burn the priest. So it's almost like paying off your legacy. And that's what I think the whole reason behind the name change was for a while. I almost wondered if it was more of a legal thing, like, maybe they still owed someone an album? Or this is a way to get out of a contract of some sort?
2: Yeah, because my understanding is they're not going to continue as Burn the Priest. This is just a one-off. The next record that comes out is going to be... The next record that comes out, though, is going to be Lamb of God. I mean, it it has to be, you know. Um, I could be wrong about
0: that. How fucked up would it be if they went back to Burn the Priest all these years later?
2: Uh, Well, it's weird, too, because every time I... uh, yeah, you know, no. no. Every time I make a big statement like that on the show, the opposite ends up happening. <laughs> so.
0: Jimmy Lambises hasn't released a uh, statement saying how sorry he is. Oh, that here actually it is. already happened.
2: This band, <laughs> the, the original lineup of this band is never going to get back together. Here's 30 minutes of why the original lineup of the band got back together with the band.
0: <laughs> I actually, I'm still going to call this, and I'll put it on this because I've never said it on record anywhere. I say in the next five years, Chicago Open Air is going to get the original Smiths back together. We will reconvene
2: if that happens. I mean, they got Misfits, and no one thought that was going to happen ever. Fair enough. So, guys, final thoughts on Lamb of God.
0: Final thoughts on Lamb of God. Um, Like a lot of bands of this era, they started off kind of rough, but showed a lot of premise. Sorry, wrong word. Showed a lot of promise. And eventually through, I think, slagging it out with a lot of their contemporaries who maybe weren't in the same ilk. So piggybacking off of your, you know, your kill switches and so forth of that thing, put a little bit of a shine on the band that maybe they didn't deserve early on. But eventually the band was able to come through with their proficiency as musicians and as people but always evolving it to where they did, they would always gain new fans and, and it would keep people on their toes. As we were just saying, we're almost 20 years into a career, and they're still doing things that we don't expect them to do. And if that doesn't allow them to continue being who they are while still appreciating who they have been and who they were, i don't think we would be talking about that band because there's obviously no reason to talk about a band that can't evolve past the first thing they did that was somewhat good 20 years ago we already talked about slayer <laughs> they did one thing good once that's like al bundy throwing four touchdowns in high school
2: uh, all i'm going to say about lamb of God as a final thought is that their worst shit is better than your best shit and uh, that's how i've always felt about the band Uh, really, is that they? I always thought that they were doing something special and I didn't always like it but it was always something special. So, that's all I got. And I'm going to say that. Sounds good. (laughs) Big hand clap for Joe tonight, talking when he shouldn't have been at all. Well, I have no idea where Joe usually takes it from here. Albums of the Week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, John,
0: what's your album of the week? I... (laughs) these are two albums I've listened to very equally um and they're on completely different spectrum broad spectrums of the musical uh spectrum I say that a lot um I've been really enjoying the Carters the Beyonce Jay-Z uh EP that just dropped it's really fucking good and it's the perfect end to the trilogy that basically is Beyonce's Lemonade Jay-Z's 444 and now this, uh, I think it really encapsulates the whole a uh, relationship as far as being a married couple and and all the stresses that come from it and cheating and, and reconciliation and, and all that from both female and male perspectives into being a stronger couple as a result of it and just shitting on basically everyone who wanted to shit on you and, and take take shots at you while you supposedly were were weak um it's a great record i think ape shit is a, a great video and a, a great single um and there's lots of good stuff on that record um lyrically and so forth and the other one uh, after making some jokes earlier this week with Dan, has been see you next Tuesday's intervals. Um, I, like I said, Fox is a friend of mine. He's tattooed me a handful of times. I took him to the beginning, the first date of that tour, uh, and we listened to the record before it came out when they were starting their tour with uh, I Wrestled a Bear Once. And I remember hearing the song January and On and just being like, holy fuck, dude. Like, this is on some, like, This is going to take your band further in your band's career, because, like, you can only do grind for so long. But when you start making interesting songs like this, I think it's going to take you further. And uh, for a fun bonus points thing, if you're ever at a bar that has touch tunes and you can find that song on touch tunes or AMI, play it because there's about five and a half minutes worth of a clock ticking at the end of it. That'll drive any bar patron upset
2: outside of the music itself. (laughs) Dan what about you? Uh, I've been listening to the album False by the band Gorefest. Foreshadowing Maybe. By the way, I also want to do a shout out to all of the participants in the discography discussion official Facebook group. It has been awesome seeing that group uh, kind of kind of bloom and see people posting things in there every day and uh, it's uh, it's a fun it's definitely a fun thing for me to return to um, to have everybody in the same room. And be able to shoot ideas off of, and and we can talk about what music we're talking about. And people have been making requests that I'm going to have to uh, put in an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> and uh, and follow up on. So uh, that that group's been really cool, and we really appreciate everybody that that's participated in it. And if Joe's record isn't snot, that's a horrible miss
1: miss missed opportunity.
0: <laughs>
1: well, since you mentioned it. I've been listening to Stranger Fruit by Zeal and Ardor. I have a very strange co-worker that walked up to me and said, do you like black metal? Yes. Do you like old Southern African spirituals? Yes. You need to listen to Zeal and Ardor. It's not what you're expecting. And he was right. So based off of the, the brief
0: questionnaire at the beginning, how would it not be what you're expecting if you
1: asked those two questions? Have you heard it, John? I, no, I have not. You need to listen we'll to We'll talk it. here in about five minutes after I do this outro. Shh. Let it happen. Just let it happen, man. Let it be what it is. And on that note, this has been episode 71 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at DiscussMetal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit discussmetal.com for all things discography discussion, and please send questions and comments to Dan and Joe Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one. At Patreon.com forward slash Discuss Metal, we have some sweet perks.
2: Give me your money.
1: One dollar gets you into that exclusive album review feed and other cool things. John's Untitled Podcast can be found on Facebook, SoundCloud, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Except for Google Play. We'll talk later.